podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offer the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer. Welcome back into another edition of The Kickabout here on the Blue Room. I am your host, Rob Vera, joined this week by uh, Mike Diasha, as well as first-time Kickabout, uh, well, I guess it would be redundant to say first-time debutante or whatever, <laughs> but first-time uh, on The Kickabout, uh, Ben Crawford of The Blue Room Monday Show. Ben, welcome. You picked a we picked a hell of a week to get you on uh, for the first time. That's uh, I, I always wonder if we're going to have anything to talk about this week, and inevitably we do, and and we certainly have quite a bit to talk about after last night, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, big thank you uh, to you, Rob, for inviting me on the show, and uh, I think it's almost you know it made even more special making me debut on the show after a game like that, which in, in a way could get its own show on its own, couldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I said last night, Mike, that uh, on on the post match that I could write ten thousand words about that game, and I still don't know that I would really nail it. <laughs> there's just I was saying to Ben before we hit record that it is there's so much. I didn't even I don't even know how what my reaction was at the end of that last night. I think I was just exhausted and a little relieved and I don't know that I've fully processed every single thing that happened in that game but uh I know that sometimes Mike you elect to go on a big long walk instead of watching the game did you actually uh sit there and endure that epic (laughs) that epic match last night from start to finish weirdly yeah I did I think it's it was kind of like a horrific car crash you'd really want to stop looking but you're not gonna look away you got to keep looking until the very end and know what's what. It was just the, the the emotions you felt throughout that game. Give me give me a one nil defeat any day of the week over that because I've aged about <laughs> fifty five years. It's ridiculous. Now. Um, yeah, you're right. You don't really process it probably. I don't think you ever really do process those emotions. You just kind of remember how they feel and then sort of try and put them into sequences because it, it's hard enough on telly i couldn't imagine what it would have been like being there it just takes me back to like the other mental games that we've had in recent memory like the that the one that springs to mind is three two against watford when tom cleverly misses the pen in the last minute and the mm. highs and lows yeah. and the emotions of a game like that so god knows what it would have been like after on county road after that game that's probably a good thing that we were not allowed to be there yeah, it, it it does feel a bit like I don't know. I don't know if cruel is the right word because I, I don't. I'm always trying to be careful. I'm always trying to be careful of how we frame the things that we're missing right now in terms of of what COVID and and the pandemic have taken from us. Uh, trying to frame it properly and not to to come off as being completely oblivious to to real suffering and pain and, and all of that. But look, putting all that aside, I, last night just felt like one of those games where, especially looking at it in the light of day today, it, it feels borderline criminal that there wasn't a crowd at Goodison last night. And yet at the same time, I, I, I wonder, I, I, I feel like I have to check in on this a few times, a few times, or at least periodically this season with you guys. But, you know, for those of you who, who go to the game on a semi-regular basis, do you think it's as simple as saying, oh, I wish we had been there for that last night? Or do you wonder even if there would have been a game like that last night if it had been a full Goodison? Like, I, I don't know what the lack of a crowd does to contribute to a madness or a mania quite like that in terms of defenses shutting off or a lack of concentration or what have you. And I don't want to take anything away from the beauty of those goals, which we'll talk about. But do you guys get a sense of... of what it's uh, what it means to to miss a game like that and do you even think it would be the same if if there had been a full crowd there would it have been closer to a, a one nil or a two one i think um, um go go on, on, you go go on, no go on you go for it mate. i mean i think it's difficult because 
we have seen, obviously, Michael, you know, back this up as well as, obviously, like, season tick holders. We've seen games like this unfold in the past. You know, we've seen mad score lines. We've seen, you know, going back a little bit further, you know, a 5-3 victory home to Blackpool, which was, you know, an absolute, like, roller coaster of emotion. So, I don't think having a crowd there last night would have probably affected the result any more than anything else. I just thought as though, you know, for the first time, because I'm one supporter who's really coped quite well with this sort of project restart kind of phase that we're still in, you know, a year on where there's no fans in the ground. The fact that we've been able to watch every game live has sort of really helped me along in that sense that I'm not missing any of the games, even though I'm not there. And it's like, I'm missing out, but everyone's missing out, so I don't feel that isolated. But last night was the first one where I, I thought, like Mike alluded to there, where he said, you know, imagine what County Road would have been like. Imagine what the crowd would have been like after that win because it was mad enough celebrating in my own living room and, you know, being like the whole emotional rollercoaster of wanting to look at the television, wanting to look away when Tottenham were attacking. I just think if... I don't think the result would have been much different in the ground because all that sort of, you know, bad defending from both sides, that sort of, you know, real pantomime of a, sh- of a show is really something that we saw even when we were in Goodison. So to me, I don't think the lack of fans would have changed it too much, but uh, it would have been a bit of a mad ride to be in the stadium last night, but hell, what, what a ride it would have been. <laughs> Absolutely. Mike, I don't know how you feel about, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about a game, watching a game like that and, and the sense of being there or not. It, it, it's on such a, a knife's edge, isn't it? Because if we lose that game 5-4, I, or we lose, or we lose in very Everton fashion in pen, in the in the shootout. Uh, I, I don't know how you feel about wishing you had been at that game or not, but it, it does feel when you combine these kind of moment games that we've had this season, along with what I consider to be the the biggest thing that I'm missing by not being there uh, or taking a trip there this year, which is seeing James Rodriguez play for Everton, which I still think is something that I pinch myself a little bit on. I, I don't know how you feel about about the aftermath of something like that, if, if it pains you a little bit or if it's just one of those things that is kind of part and parcel with a, a season like un, unlike any other that we've seen before. Um, Inherently, yeah, it's a little bit crap, isn't it? Because I, I don't think fans being there would have changed that result because Everton, for the longest time in the world, as long as I can remember, are usually the bridesmaids in that situation. Uh, those sorts of games, they're always the valiant losers who come up short or manage to throw it away in comical fashion or whatever. It's never that Everton put all the graft in, go for 120 minutes and come out the other end with the tiles up. It's very rare that that happens. But from that point of view, I think it does it does hit you with just a pang of, oh, it would have been lovely. But at the same time, I'm hit with a real sense of positivity that it's not something we've seen before, is that Carlo Ancelotti's created a side there that doesn't seem to abide by the Everton rules, as it were, of just, mm-hmm. all right, yeah, so what we'll do is we'll we'll try our best and at some point, Spurs will come back into this game and they'll win because, you know, that's that's how it works. Because when it gets to 3-3, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I'm sat there going, yeah, this is how it works. Everton valiantly have done the best here. They gave it a proper go. Um, Calvert-Lewin, there you go. Calvert-Lewin's gone off. They've lost the striker. Mm. Yeah, there you go. They tried. They got their excuses and they tried. Yeah. Go 4-3 and you're like, hang on. Goes to 4-4. I think the same thing again. But no, they keep going and keep going and keep going. That's not a quality that I have ever associated with Everton in my lifetime. It's not something yeah. that through my time of going a match, which is what about twenty five odd years, like that I've really managed to associate with them ever. It's just it's something that is alien and new and it's so welcome. And whether we're there or not, I think that'll stay around. I think that's the that's the thing I keep coming back to whenever I'm looking for I don't know if it's a theme for this season or it's um, a way to try to describe what it is we're seeing. And maybe we won't really be able to do that until the season ends and we kind of see where we finish ultimately. But I think you've hit on something there, Mike, because we are so accustomed to 
what I've I've termed in the past moral victory Everton. You know, I mean, I I felt like under under David Moyes especially, and and don't get me wrong, I, I don't want to throw him under the bus because there were some great moments in all those years of following Everton in the you know early two thousands and and beyond. And but but none of it ever really resulted in winning. You know, we get we'd get maybe right on the doorstep, or you know, in the case of 09, get to the to the final and get a lead, and it just it always felt inevitable and, and part of that was this whole notion of Everton that I suppose but I think another part of it was there was this built-in uh I try to avoid the word mentality but but yeah. there was sort of this built-in ethos for for the football club for a long period of time which was that look we're just we don't have all of the advantages uh and so therefore if we're competitive, then, you know, you, you guys should be happy with that. And, and I think that there was there, I think as much as people said they weren't happy with it, I do feel like over time, the fan base in general began to kind of, a, kind of accept it, whether they knew they were or not. They just, because part of if your expectations become aligned you're, with that, then your acceptance level inevitably does to a degree as well, whether you admit it or not. I, I think that's what I keep coming back to with this side, because if in two years we're talking about a, a, an Everton side that are in the Champions League and and you know winning a trophy here or there or, or really taking that next step, I wonder how we'll look back at this side because I think we can all agree in watching them. And I, and I don't want to analyze every moment of last night too much because I, I don't know that there's a lot you can take out of that game and say that, wow, that really informs you about Everton this season because we're not as good as five goals and we're not as bad as giving up those four goals that we did in terms of how we played this season. But I do think that when we look back on this side, that this is that hopefully that transitional side the the 2020 2021 Everton and I know the word transition is become an ugly word but when I say transition in this case I, I mean simply this was the side that began to flip the script from the expectation of just kind of being in it versus a side that actually seemed to have the personality and the conviction to actually go out and find a way. I think I've been begging for Everton to try to find a way and mentally push through that barrier of not having an excuse and not getting the, the red card at the worst possible time and not allowing you know the referee's decisions as bad as they've often been for us to to ultimately become the excuse that that we ultimately live with. I, I think that's the that's the difference this season. I'm we're not perfect. We're not gonna win the win the league this year. Uh, but I love this. I love this group. I don't know why, what it is. I love them for their flaws as well as for what make them good. Because even with, with their flaws, I think, especially after last night, and Ben, I'd love your thoughts on this too. I think last night was, um, I don't want to say a turning point because I feel like that a turning point is sort of this false concept. I think it's not just one moment. It's something you build over a period of time, but last night certainly was the kind of game, especially as we got to extra time and it felt like Spurs were on the front foot. Last night was the kind of game where we saw a group of players who flawed as they may be, uh, especially with that bench last night, uh, they seem to collectively believe whether they should believe or not is really, you know, up for debate given their, given the the qualities they have and don't have. But that was a group last night that said, you know what? Um, we're going to win this. <laughs> we're going to yeah. find a way they, to Mike's point, Spurs had a deeper bench. They could have brought on more difference making players. They brought on Harry Kane, who certainly, you know, made his difference ultimately, we had Seamus Coleman and Bernard to bring on, and I'll be damned if those two didn't find a way to affect the game. And and collectively, whether it was the performances of Decore and Davis, et cetera, it just felt like a group of players that said enough is enough. We're not going with the old script anymore, and we're going to find a way through. How different is the personality this season compared to past seasons of this Everton side? 
I think it's it's massively different, or at least it's on the way to being so. I think we've seen all season, or kind of since you know Carlo's come in and, and really grabbed hold of the squad, that we do seem more capable of you know getting back into games when we're out of them. You know, in previous years, you know, we look back at the start of the season against Liverpool. You know, you can see the early goal, Mane scores, and normally an Everton side in the typical sense, would normally go back into this shell after conceding an early goal against Liverpool, probably ship three or f- two, three or four goals in. But, you know, we found a way to get back in the game. We then get pegged back again in the second half and then we answer back with an equaliser. OK, people will say we were lucky in the end to get the point that we got. But the point is, you know, you make your own luck in certain situations by the team bouncing back from adversity. And I think that's something that was really important. You know, especially last night, I get the uh, you know the comments obviously from you, Mike. There, I completely agree with where you know you sort of say that you know this is this feels something new. It feels as though there's a real you know mentality shift among the players. But I think it's just as important. I don't think we can make you know too little of the fact that really we need to build on this now. You know, this game is felt like a really monumental sort of important game, but. Unfortunately, if we obviously we don't know we've gotten the draw yet, but if we go through to the next round, regardless of who we're kind of playing, we've got to try and build on that and actually make it worth something. Because at the moment, this this result as fantastic as it was and how it's really starting to show that we're turning the tide in that sense, it's it's got to be worth something for me. You know, we've seen games, mm-hmm. big cup games in the past, like you know a few years ago when we beat Chelsea on penalties after like a last minute equaliser, and we all thought, wow, this is a real moment. And then we get knocked out in the next round by Reading at home, so. No, it, yeah, it, it, yeah it, it's got to be built on for me. You know, if at the end of the season, you know, in in a perfect world, you know, we're celebrating, you know, our first trophy in over 25 years, Carlos lifting the FA Cup for us at Wembley, then it's all sort of worthwhile and it's all been worth the roller coasters that we've been on. But if we go into the next round, whoever we play, even if it's Manchester City away, which you probably mm. will know in the draw, <laughs> even if even if we get beat by Manchester City away, and okay, we, we're obviously. Underdogs, that's it. I'll still be disappointed because all that work last night is kind of for nothing. That's the and that's the problem with certain cup games. You know, it's not as if you get three points to use in the league. That that cup game's only as good as your next round. So although yeah. I don't think it's fair to sort of, you know, say to this squad of players, you must win the FA Cup, otherwise you have been a waste of time. That that's not fair or what I'm getting at. Sure. It's all for me, all this sort of the amount of false dawns we've had in the past and the amount of like, you know, hope that we've had crushed in front of us before. It really needs to mean something to me this time. And I do think that this squad of players are getting into a position where they are starting to really battle a bit more and retain the tide in a mental sense and get past those barriers that we've had in the past. But yeah. they've got I don't know whether that's going to be this season. We see the you know the fruits of that, but I just hope that we get somewhere in this FA Cup and we really make that worthwhile. Because if you think if we go on and end up like I say, in a perfect way of winning that competition, then last night is going to be so important in the history of us. If we get knocked out in the next round, it's probably not going to be the turning point we all wanted it to be. Yeah. I I don't know. I, I think, Mike, that what we struggle to do on on these podcasts or just in general discussion about Everton is, is to the point Ben makes like this, that's, this has all been nice, but, but ultimately it has to, to result in something. And I, I agree. Um, at, at a certain point, you've, you've got to actually win the trophy. You've got to actually finish fourth. You've got to actually, you know, th- there are certain things that have to be done that are impossible to predict right now. I suppose what we all we can do is just sort of evaluate um, the the benchmarks that are being accomplished and that have been accomplished that we can look at in a season like this so far and compare them to to previous seasons. I, I just struggle to, and you guys know, and Mike certainly knows this about me. I'm I'm less of a great memory guy uh, when it comes to Everton and more of just remembering how I've, how they've made me feel, which has generally been pretty shit uh, (laughs) over the last several seasons. But I, I I feel like so much about how we feel about Everton is different this season, just from the standpoint that a, I I don't feel like the the kind of common thread of discussion about how much we hate these players is is something that we, we talk about nearly as much. Um, 
I think there are still a couple of players that flatter to deceive at times with their with with the effort at times, but far fewer now than there used to be. I mean, it helps that we don't see Fabian Delph anymore. Um, your guess is as good. Like, I don't even know, Mike, what to make of Gilfie Sigurdsson last night. Uh, <laughs> just like the ultimate, I, I said on Twitter, the ultimate Rorschach test was that game for him. But um, overall, though... <laughs> I, I think that, that the feeling about this side and and really that's that's sometimes the most you can take from sport in terms of hoping to find some joy in it all is something that is far easier to attach yourself to than than squads in the past. And, and last night seemed to be a real reminder of that, that uh, that as much as we talk about a broader turning point, I feel like last night there were like five turning points in that game where we all thought the early goal was the turning point and we've already started off on the wrong foot and that's going to doom us. Then I thought it was the getting the penalty. Then I thought it was the Yerry, you know, Yerry Mina horror show. I, I thought it was all these different turning points and I'll be damned if it wasn't, a nine goal <laughs> drunk fest of a game, but I don't know, Mike, I, I don't know if, if you, you know, when we've talked before, you have said that you're, I think you're, I think you like this team better, but you have seemed kind of hesitant to, to say that they're good. Um, I don't know if good is the right word for them or not, but they're the, 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 the output in terms of points and progression certainly seems to be better. They seem to be more likable. Uh, how do you feel about them now compared to maybe how you have uh, in, in even the recent past or even at the beginning of the season? Oh, it's night and day. It's absolutely night and day. It's not even close. There's there's nothing about me and the way I feel towards Everton Football Club that I can label at Everton this time last year. Just nothing. It's completely yeah. different. Even if you go back to the Wolves 3-0 defeat at the end of last season, again, just look at the difference in spirit, in effort, in commitment, all those things that are just, just tangibles, all tangible tangibles. Um, for me, the game in itself, as you say, it had nine turning points. So it, was, it was turning point after turning point after turning point. But the broader point for me is, I, and I agree with Ben, that at some point... You've got to go and win a trophy. You, for, there's only so long before you can you can you can make baby steps. But right now, baby steps is what we're making, and it's another top six side beaten. As as yeah. frank as it is, it is. And if that book, the nice thing is for me, we're not sat here going beating a top six side, beating a top six side, because it's not unusual at the minute. That's brilliant. That's exactly yeah. what we need. We need to be sat here just being like, yeah, beats Spurs. Anyway, on to, um, on to Fulham and City. And that, that's what it's meant to be like. It's not meant to be. Right, okay, so we, we haven't beaten these in X amount of times. That's it's a big deal beating these. No, you should just beat them. Like If you want to be in and around those teams, you should have a pretty much 50-50 shot of beating any team in the top six on your day. And that's how it should work, no matter your level, if you want to be in and around there. And... Everton sort of really slowly this season have got towards it, whether it's Arsenal, whether it's Chelsea, whether it's Leicester, because I'm be honest, I'd include Leicester before I'd include Arsenal. But those sorts of sides, Wolves as well, just teams that are in and around and beat each other. Everton need to make it standard and not just a really significant thing. Fine with the away victories, make that a big thing because that is a big thing. Even if you're a title challenger, if you go away to Liverpool, to City, to United and win, it's a massive thing. It doesn't matter if you're 1st or your 20th. But those home victories against the likes of Spurs, against Chelsea, against Arsenal, against Leicester, against anyone in the league, you need to make that just, yeah, standard. We beat teams at home. That's what happens. Yeah. And that's one of the nice things that they are slowly bringing back, as well as the away form. And I know we've spoken about the away form loads, but not being a massive significance that Everton win away at the moment. But beating teams in around the top six, being a bit more normal, that's massive for this year. Ready to get your glitter on? Then head to Worlds of Fun Grand Carnival from July 23rd through August 7th for a larger-than-life shimmering celebration. Join the spectacle of color, a dazzling parade of floats, performers, music, and beads that sweeps across the park. And take your taste buds on a world tour while dancing to music after dark. Save over 45% with a Carnival bundle, which includes admission, parking, and three food tastings. Only at worldsoffun.com. Yeah, I, 
I think that's a great point. I, I'm there's there's still a tiny part of me that's probably dreading us missing out on Champions League by the 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 width of those Newcastle results. But I'm <laughs> I'm with you. Um, the competitiveness against uh, better sides, or at least the sides that we have not traditionally done well against, the road record, um, all, with all the caveats. Uh, again, this is a weird season, and that's I think that's why when you know Ben, you talk about uh, needing to have something to show for all this. I've said several times that this is the kind of season that is just wild enough that you, you have to take advantage of it because I'm not convinced there will be these sort that, that, that there will be this competitive nature in the top half of the table in the next couple of seasons as there, as there has been this season. Um, but having said that, I, I do want to talk. A, I, anyway, that's just sort of an aside there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to to focus on the positive there. Um, but but ultimately, I, I do think there is an opportunity uh, for the side looking forward. now that we've kind of been through the emotional ringer of last night, I feel like some of the dust has begun to settle and some bigger questions are, are certainly there. I said before, I don't think that you can look at the at the events of last night uh, and try to extrapolate too much from them because it was just sort of a wild game. But we are now left with the scenario that uh, as we led up to transfer deadline day, we all sort of feared. And, yeah. and that's why we were so, so angsty about getting something done uh, with and the late Josh King thing is going to hopefully be a part of that. But I want to start with, I'm going to start with you, Ben. Um, we don't know yet what the extent of Calvert-Lewin's injury is. Um, I think we're hearing a little bit that it's a hamstring that that could mean a variety of things. I'm almost certain he's not going to play against Fulham on Sunday. I would also probably imagine then that if you don't want to play him Sunday, you probably just want it, – it, it's a question of whether or not you think you can have him ready for the derby as opposed to trying to play him versus City. I, I don't really know. Uh, stranger things have happened. Um, but we are now kind of facing that – That I, I hate to call it a nightmare scenario, but because I do think we have – I think we have some adequate – you know, players that can slot in there, but Calvert Lewin has been our player of the season. I, I don't know that you can really argue that given the production and, and so on. What do we, how do we line up uh, with, without Calvert Lewin? Um, I think it's interesting now to consider uh, just how, how much like I'm sitting here saying, let's not overanalyze last night and extrapolate too much. But at the same time, I also want to scream out from a mountaintop, look at Richarlison's two goals last night. How important does that feel if he's got to go through an extended period as maybe being our primary striker? Uh, do you move Josh King out to a wing position maybe to do, to cover there? I, what do you see as kind of being the, the way that, that Everton move forward if, if, in fact, for instance, Calvert-Lewin is out? Uh, and I'll just uh, as a bonus question, uh, if Allen returns this Sunday, which there's talk that that might be the case, uh, how do you line up in midfield given the form that Gomes and, and certainly Tom Davis have, have started to capture? I mean, these are good. The, the midfield feels like more of a good problem to have. But but overall, without Calvert-Lewin there, I, I, I wonder what Everton are going to look like for any extended period of time. Yeah, and I think, you know, uh... Obviously, that's, uh, I'll try and answer that question as best as I can um, at the various points of it. But I think the crux of it is that you know any team in this league who loses, you know, the most informed player, probably the best player at the moment, it is going to struggle to replace him. And I don't think we can make too too small of you know too small of a deal of that really because you know Dominic Calvert Lewin is our outlet and he's in such a good vein of form at the moment that it is almost impossible to replace him. I was you know like you kind of alluded to there, Rob, I was quite encouraged by Richarlison's display, especially his movement down the middle when he went into that striking position. I did feel as though you get more of the best out of him than sticking him on the wing, to be honest. So, you know, in regards to the full game, as you've asked it, I think if I was a betting man, I would say that Richarlison would start as the number nine in that team and you'd probably see Josh King play either on the left-hand side or, of course, there's a, there's a few other little caveats to that because you've also got a big question mark over the fitness of Andre Gomez because, you know, he had a knock. He was out last night. James Rodriguez, you know, another one of our most important players, he is suffering with his calf at the moment. We don't know whether he's going to be fit. And I think assuming the, if we were to assume both of them would be fit, I think you'd probably say that Ancelotti will use 
the good form of the likes of Davis and Gomez to give Allen maybe that extended break and not rush him back at all, give him an extra week where he can. Because, you know, listen, Allen's 30 years of age. He's not, you know, he's not too young, but he's also not too old. But, he's, you know, he's, he's in that kind of bracket where you want to avoid as many niggly injuries as you can. So I think if Everton are in a position where they are able to give him an extra week or an extra few days to the City game or the Derby, then they might well give him it because... You know, a diff full of game. I mean, I know we've obviously we've. I don't want to cover all ground that we've done there. You know about the you know victories mean and something, but it would be just so typical Everton, so true Evertonian fashion, for us to win that game last night the way we did, it, and then go and fail to be Fulham at home, or you know even worse, get beat by Fulham at home. So this game is just as important for me for us to show this. You know, this all like this new bounce of mentality that we're supposed to have that we've both sort of agreed with, Rob. I mean. That that's the crux of it. I mean, we really got to make sure that we make, like Mike said there, we need to be beating top six, top the top six teams at home and making that the norm. But we've got to start with bottom, you know, bottom kind of at the table teams at home. We look at Newcastle the other week, so I think this game is as important as any we've got. I think you'd probably, you know, like I say, see Josh King maybe playing the left hand side with Charles up top. In terms of the midfield, I think it does rest a lot on James Rodriguez because we've got a lot of games coming up three inside a week, basically. And I do think that Gilfie Sigurdsson has given us not a problem, you know, and a kind of extra option with his form because in typical Gilfie Sigurdsson fashion the other night, he probably did some of his worst bits defensively that we've seen from him and we've all been accustomed to. But he's also shown us that he can actually create chances and take a decent penalty, you know, when he puts his head to it. So I think... I'd worry about a team that contained maybe James Rodriguez and Gilfie Singleton because I both think they offer quite similar kind of attributes and, and neither of them are that quick. But I think if you're going to be in a situation where James Rodriguez is fit, he has to go straight back into that team. And like you say, there'll be no Dominic Cavalier and I'm almost certain of that as well. We are still waiting to hear the extent of his injury. But I think it's a perfect opportunity for Josh King to have his debut, albeit I think will probably be on the wing letting Richarlison pick up where he left off, which was... A real nice surprise last night to see him uh, hit some kind of form because he's had yeah. a poor year. Yeah, it, it it wasn't Mike just the 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 scoring itself. I think it was the manner of the manner in which Richarlison scored last night that was encouraging to me. I. I know that a couple games back, I think it, I guess it was in the previous round of the of the cup that I think he got the one-headed goal, and I, I think we were all saying that he probably could have had a, a couple more in that game. Um, but it was it was sort of back to that that uh, I, I'm sure I, I'm going to have that go over my face for for saying it last night, but I was like Richarlison is back because it was. It was the the type of goals that he scored. I mean, that those were those kind of gorgeous strikes that that we've that we'd kind of frankly begun to take for granted probably going into this season that come from him. Um, I think that that part was important. But man, last night was part of what was so wild about last night was the quality of of every goal that we scored. I mean, even Sigurdsson's penalty was great. Uh, Bernard's winner was just unreal and. I I I I'm pretty I'm pretty jazzed about the idea that if he is gonna stick around for the rest of this season, with the idea that he's probably getting sold in the summer, that maybe he's motivated to try and get the best possible deal that he can from him wherever he goes. Um, you know, it, it's it's a I compared it last night to having you know him come off our bench and, and play like that, given the writing on the wall versus Deli Ali, who just kind of floated out. I don't even know what he's doing. I don't know what's going on at Spurs. It's such a weird situation there. But anyway, I digress. Um, if Calvert-Lewin is gone for any period of time, um, Everton are just going to have to find a way, I suppose. But I, I can't really tell from it last night. I hate to wildly speculate. I was encouraged by the fact that Calvert-Lewin got up under his own power. He, he didn't seem to even be limping that badly when he went off. I don't know that you can tell a lot sometimes about hamstring injuries, but if if Calvert Lewin has gone for a period of time, um, how what what is your your level of concern given that Richarlison can slot in? Um, I'm beginning to think that Richarlison seems to be more engaged when he is playing striker as opposed to playing on the wing. So I, I don't know if it's the worst thing in the world. I don't know how much we lose with Richarlison not being on the wing in, in a scenario like that. Um, 
are you kind of seeing the same sort of Richarlison up top, Josh King or Awobi starting on a wing type of scenario? or uh, and, and how would you approach the midfield if Allen comes back as well? Um, first of all, on Richarlison, I think when you look at him as a footballer, we were never really in doubt that he was going to start scoring goals again. Just was never going to be an issue. I think we had a conversation on this very show. I think it was three weeks ago. Rob, me, you, and Kate had a discussion about this, and the chat then was, "Are we worried about Richardson not scoring?" And the general consensus was, "No, because a game will come along soon. He'll get a couple of goals and he'll be fine." Because that's what quality footballers do. And as you said, Rob, it was the quality of the goals. They were absolutely just pure Richardson in essence. The first one is something I'd love to see him do a lot more, which is just beat your man, cut inside, get a shot off right into the corner. You'll beat a keeper if they are not a top keeper. And he's got that in his locker. I'd love love to see it more and more often because I think the opportunity it provides. We saw one um, in the League Cup early on in the season against West Ham when it um, ricochets off the fender and goes into the corner. There are so many possibilities with that sort of shot, and we don't take enough of them. So it would be nice, because obviously Alex Wobie is not that sort of player on the other side. It would be nice for Richardson to just be a little bit more direct sometimes. Um, what I do in terms of Calvert-Lewin, I think, first of all, if it's a hamstring tweak, then, yeah, he sits out against Fulham, sits out against City, and if he can play in the derby, fantastic. That's probably what you're aiming for, because even if it is a slight twinge, yeah, just put your feet up for a week, rest it, you'll be fine. I'd rather lose him for a week in the next two games than I would to play him against Fulham and lose him for a month, month and a half, two months. Don't want that at all. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what to do to replace him. Uh, I could quite easily see it being quite a fluid front three with Richarlison, Josh King and Alex Iwobi or James Rodriguez sort of moving along and meandering to different parts of the field, which becomes a lot easier when you can bring someone who can be regimented into the midfield like Alan, who can then cover wing play and those sorts of things, as we've seen Abdelaide Corey do quite a few times on the right-hand side. Um, so I think that'll be quite interesting. I wouldn't put it past Everton to put out a 4-4-2 against, against um, teams if Dominic Calvert-Lewin is out. Because I think Richarlison playing as a lone striker, sometimes, obviously, he doesn't have the same presence or hold-up ability of yeah. Calvert-Lewin. And that's what sets him apart as a lone striker. And he doesn't quite have that. So I think that giving him the support of someone like Josh King, who is a little bit bigger little bit stronger and can sort of and he's still a very skillful skillful player josh king as well he's got a lot in his locker got a lot of pace as well pair mm. them two together because obviously king's played in a two before with callum wilson i, yeah. I think that could work quite well also so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that um for me alan comes straight back in he's probably our best midfielder at the minute mm. i'd say um in terms of being defensive with the ball that is um, and I think that Everton have missed that somewhat. Tom Davis, I thought, played his best game that I've ever seen him play for Everton against um, against Tottenham and played a very good game against Manchester United before that. Well done, Tom. Pat on the back. Please do it more more often. And you will 100% have a future at Everton if you keep playing like that. That's all you can say about that, really. It's not really a big conversation mm-hmm. to be had about it. So for me, you go with, you go with what you know and Alan comes straight back in and... Hopefully, then you can see Decore do exactly what he did last night against Spurs, yeah. which was just be everywhere. And he doesn't have to do that thing that he's had to do at times during the past month where there have been opportunities for him to drag the ball 40 yards up the pitch, but he's meant to be playing the holding role for 10, 15 minutes, so he can't do that. And that's been a bit frustrating. So to have someone else who can come in, slot in and cover those positions so Decore can go full Decore, that would be sensational. Yeah. Oh God, Decore and his stamina. I just, I, I couldn't believe. And and of course we've seen it. Um, we've seen it when we've had to play extra time uh, earlier in the season. Uh, God, what what game was that in the cup where we had to play the extra thirty? Uh, Rotherham. Yeah. Rotherham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that guy's engine is is incredible. Um, I I could probably just do an entire show on on that performance last night from him as well. But I want to actually stick with you, Mike, on Tom Davis because um, there's there's a degree to which the the quote Tom Davis conversation over the last few years has become almost a a a, a bit, if you will. Um, but but not so much anymore. Um, and and really, I just want to ask a pretty straightforward question um, that you can interpret however you'd like, um, because I I suppose that where I find fault in the way that he is analyzed is that he is he is for a lot of people, especially those 
um, <laughs> those in, in uh, you know, locally, if you will. Um, he's, he's sort of a boomer bust proposition in that he is either going to be a, he either has to be a superstar or else he's a failure. And I find a, I find that there's a real middle ground there. Um, and, and I've been impressed with the incremental and what looks to be sustainable progress he's made this season. So I want to ask you a very straightforward question, Mike, what, what is success for Tom Davis this season and beyond? Um, for me, success for Tom Davis personally is playing sustained periods of football with confidence. I think that would be success for Tom Davis. I don't think he has, he can't be thinking about the end goal when he doesn't seem to have the confidence to get there. There's no point even thinking about where he's going to end up when he used to play within himself. Um, but that really seems to be something that hasn't been an issue for quite a few games now. Whether his play has been up to scratch or not, the confidence issue seems to have really fallen away with what seems to just be good coaching and an actual position now, which is lovely to see and made up for the lad. But I don't think we as fans, I think you are right, Rob, we don't need to see this superstar or bus mentality. He doesn't have to be Phil Foden. He doesn't have to be Marcus Rashford. It's okay to be Scott McTominay. It's fine to be that. There is, there is no point needing every single youth prospect that you have be Wayne Rooney because it's never going to happen. There's no right. point wanting it to happen. We've had our one superstar talent for a generation to get another one. It's a bit greedy because those teams don't have any. So if you can push players through your academy, brilliant. If you can push them into your first team, excellent. If you can have them as first team starters, that's really, really rare. If you can yeah. make that a thing, that's perfect. So he doesn't need to be Lionel Messi, doesn't need to be Wayne Rooney, doesn't need to be Marcus Rashford, just be Tom Davis and make sure that that level is enough to keep you in Everton's plans. That's all he needs to do. Ben, I, I, I was kind of, I, I don't want to say taken aback, but I actually was kind of impressed by Carlo Ancelotti's comments about Tom Davis. Uh, I think I read them today, which really was um, striking in how... Um, upfront and and uh, upfront he is about what Tom Davis is and what he is not. You know that, that there are certain things that you know he's not meant to be a certain type of this certain type of maybe uh, elite quality uh, passing midfielder per se, but that he can his best position and his best style of play is one where he keeps it simple and by keeping it simple allows his natural ability to, to just be something that can bring the team forward. That can, can, can be something that solidifies a midfield. I think Mark Mosey spoke about this last night on uh, the post-match, which was the idea that, that Tom Davis is the type of player who succeeds if he is in a successful setup, if that makes sense. If he is paired with, uh, a player or two in the midfield uh, that that have their own you know set of strengths and what have you and 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 I know that this may sound like I'm you know damning with faint praise but that's not my intention it's just simply to say that for all these years of struggling to kind of determine and and the joke has become what is Tom Davis's best position uh, Les Roberts and I have have had this and Les especially has had this theory about him being a right back uh, and we just don't know it yet but um, he 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 seems to I, I think it's less about finding a quote position in a sport that is increasingly becoming more nuanced than these rigid constructs of this position or that I think it was more about allowing Tom Davis to figure out in very uncertain terms, here's what you are good at. Here is what you are not. Focus on what you're good at. Keep it simple and be part of something successful. And there, that will make you the best possible player you can be. You could argue that Tom, that, that Carlo Ancelotti has been doing that for a number of our players this season. Uh, but it seems especially pronounced with Tom Davis right now. This is the most I've enjoyed watching him play in maybe ever. Um, I, I don't know how you feel about it, Ben, but I, I assume I, I always kind of check my privilege of being thousands of miles away and him not being, you know, Tom Davis. I feel like I can have a conversation about him that is not rooted in any emotional attachment of him being, you know, quote, like me. But I can say objectively, at least as objectively as I can be as an Everton supporter, this is the best he's looked. This is the most fun he's looked like he's had playing for us, uh, maybe since the early 
early time with Kuman, but but even then, I don't know that anyone really had that much fun under Ronald Kuman. But uh, what do you what do you make of it? And uh, do do you think that this is just kind of a uh, a, a nice little period of, of play, or do you think that we've finally gotten onto something with Tom Davis and he's found something sustainable? Well, I think really to go back to your, you know, your comments um, about what Ancelotti come out and said about Tom Davis's the pros and cons of him, his ability, etc. I actually think that if that come from any any other manager in the league, it was a bit bit more critical than it's been taken, really, because he basically turned round about Tom Davis, who we've seen as this sort of box-to-box midfield. He's basically turned round and said, oh, yeah, he's useless going forward. He, you know, he can't create chances, he can't score goals. So the only thing I can do with him is employ him as a defensive midfielder, tell him to keep it simple, because that's all he can do. But us knowing what we know about Ancelotti and how he seems to just simplify the game every time he talks about it, you know, that's how it turns into sort of you flip it onto the side of being almost praiseworthy because everything about Ancelotti is is quite basic about what he does. He doesn't try incredible tactical, you know, like you say, nuances. He doesn't try and you know be clever. He just football to him is a simple game played by you know eleven men on each team, and and that's that. If that's what Tom Davis is good at, that's what we'll use him for. We won't play him there because you know. He basically said he couldn't attack like and like a number ten in the same way. He probably said he can't go and goal like a goalkeeper because that's not that's what he's for. So right. if I was Tom Davis, I would you know you talk about you know you allude to the fact like where does Tom Davis or what would be a success for Tom Davis? I think for Tom Davis, what a success would be is making it like Mike said in an Everton Carlo Ancelotti side. You know if he's still in the Everton squad in the right, even if he's not playing every game, if he's in and around this Everton squad and we do not feel the need to sit here and go. He's like Balassi, he's like Besic, he is pointless. You know, he's, he needs to be left out of the squad. If he doesn't get to that point, there's quite a success. Because like Mike says, you're only going to get one Wayne Rooney in a generation. You're not going to get, yeah. you know, a Wayne Rooney, Steve Gerrard, Paul Scholes in midfield every single year. You take your academy products in. You know, it's about making him an Everton player. And, you know, it, it, the truth of the matter is, listen, I'm an Everton. If he doesn't make it an Everton, he goes somewhere else. I, that's fine. It doesn't really bother me what happens with Tom Davis as long as Everton is successful. But from his point of view, you know, it's been a real positive for him to try and almost kind of, you know, like I say, force his way into this side. Because, you know, obviously me and Mike slightly disagree with Alan's reintroduction into the team. But I wouldn't be in as big a rush to put Alan straight in the team as I would be maybe three or four weeks ago because we've seen Tom Davis produce right. two or three now really good performances, which... We haven't really seen for a long time. You know, I've often been so critical of Tom Davis. And to be honest, it, it's a bit like the sort of Everton mentality arguments in in terms of like it's got to get it's still got to get somewhere. It's still got to mean something. You know, these two or three games from Tom Davis. That, to be fair, I think we had last season at one point, you know, where we had two or three games alongside Andre Gomez when Silva was under pressure. We thought he's actually, you know, looking like the proper Tom Davis again. So it's all got to lead somewhere for me, a bit like the rest of the squad. It's got to lead to a position where he nails down a place in Everton's at least squad and he yeah. proves long-term he can be an option. Because at the moment, it's great to see him having two or three really good games. And he have been two or three really good games. But he's got to build on it and he's got to make the most of it, just like the squad's got to make the most of their ability as well. Dear gas prices, go take a hike. Toyota is the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. The Toyota hybrid lineup brings efficiency with power and savings with style. Not to mention top tech to help keep you connected. Plush premium interiors and the most advanced Toyota safety features. So, now you know who you're talking to. Toyota, the number one retail brand for electrified vehicles for 22 years. With a hybrid or electric vehicle built for every driver. Seriously, dear gas prices? Do you really think you can stand in our way? Think again. Toyota Hybrids. Find yours at Toyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. Based on manufacturer estimates, CY2000 through 2021 sales. Well, and I and I don't think it's harsh to say, and, and this is probably how I feel, 
while I acknowledge this is the most I've enjoyed watching Tom Davis and, and maybe it's recency bias because even last season we had a little mini stretch here or there. I thought that he was praised more for just being competent at times, given how low the bar was last season. Whereas I looked at him last night and really the last couple of games and thought he's been genuinely good. And maybe that's the difference. But to your point, Ben, and I think you're you're spot on with this too. Like I think where I kind of land on this is that uh, it's nice. Uh, but I want to see a whole lot more, <laughs> and 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 maybe that's where the whole discussion of of I see people saying, well, you know, I don't know if Allen can just come back in and get his spot. I I don't agree with that. Just from this, I, I mean, I think I think you're right from a nuanced perspective that you don't have to rush Allen back because of the way Gomez and and the way that Tom Davis are playing. But I think that you have to sort of uh, also acknowledge that, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, someone like Alan has a bigger body of work uh, to, to, to pull from. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're doing, you know, but, but look, I, I think that if, if we look back at, at the end of this season, or, or even if we look at right now where we are in the table compared to where we've been, I think to me, it's been the ability to get more of these types of performances more often out of the players that were already here before Carlo Ancelotti arrived. That's the big difference. As much as I know that Decore and Allen have made a big difference, especially Decore, who um, I'm falling in love with more and more every time I see him, um, they're certainly difference makers. But to me, the ultimate difference in the to- you know the totality of this thing has been the improvement. Carlo Ancelotti has gotten out of, of players that a lot of us had given up on. I know we've talked about that quite a bit, but I think the other thing, too, is that, you know, in terms of the comments about Tom Davis, I think Carlo has this way of being of of being taken very seriously because he's very straight with players. But unlike the the slew of kind of fake tough guy managers out there who try to convey that by being feel like if they're as mean as possible about it, that that somehow uh, is, you know, that, that that means that they're more serious. I think Carlo, Carlo builds relationships. I remember reading this in his book. I mean, but he, he really builds relationships with these players in such a way that he can be straightforward and honest with them. And yet it still feel like positive, constructive feedback as opposed to, taking a shot because of his own insecurities. Like you saw him sipping that coffee and blowing on it last (laughs) night. Like there's, there's nothing. Carlo Ancelotti literally has nothing to prove to anyone else anymore. So it seems more like he engages with his players in a manner that befits someone who's, who's kind of already been to the mountaintop, but is now engaged in this purely because he wants to be not because he has to be, if that makes sense. Um, Whereas other, there's some managers who've won a lot that, that operate still as if, they are still needing to prove to the world how good they really are. I mean, I, I, I Mourinho? think Jose, Mourinho. Yeah, I was going to say Jose can be I, I I there's a part of me that loves Jose Mourinho because I think yeah. he's an important cartoon ca- character villain for, for the league at times, uh, though he does seem to have kind of a soft spot for Everton on some level. And he certainly has a lot of respect for Angelotti. But at times it feels like he and and I think Klopp certainly gets into this. They feel like they have to be pugilistic with the media and 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 really point out every little thing that hasn't gone their way uh, to talk about, you know, to justify that they were really right. It's not my fault that this this result didn't go this way. Whereas it does feel like with Ancelotti that that his entire being is all about. Uh, the fact this kind of slow assuredness that we're going to get to where we need to get. You guys are going to be okay. Here's how we're going to do it. And it's going to be all right. And there's just this kind of breath of calm that seems to exude from him that seems to have penetrated these players. And, and Tom Davis, I, I never really thought, I don't know how you guys feel, but I never really thought Tom Davis struck me as the type who was, whose confidence was really shaky in the same way that maybe a Ross Barkley was. But I, I do think though that privately in the things that we can't see, it's probably been tough to, to face the scrutiny Tom Davis has the last couple of years. And, and, and again, maybe now we're seeing the difference in terms of just the, I guess he's called man management uh, skills that someone like Carlo Ancelotti has. All right, guys. Um, while we are just about to the end of the, our uh, just about to the end of our time, um, I wanted to uh, ask both of you a question in regards to the upcoming week. 
Um, I am, I am, I am really struck by the fact that we seem to have a game every 72 hours right now, every 72 to 96 hours. And I was thinking as I got on, uh, as I was planning for this today and, and even just thinking about Sunday about how I'm enjoying this season more than I have in a long time, but I'm, I'm also just, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit exhausted by the whole thing i wish we had a little more time because you know just trying to even talk about this thing when the story and the narrative changes every three days is 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 tough sometimes but i want to ask you guys just a pretty straightforward uh, garden variety question about what the expectations ought to be for this coming week and i'm just going to get you know essentially uh put the next three matches in front of you uh with with their own unique challenges ben you said before that fulham is so incredibly important and i think it's especially or doubly so just from the standpoint of who else we play in the next two games with city and 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 obviously the derby coming up what would represent to you a minimal amount of points to get out of a week like this um i am I, I I almost feel like it's got to be four. I would take four out of nine. I hate to, I, that sounds like I'm really not not a big believer, but I'm just acknowledging a few things. One, City look like an absolute machine right now. Um, two, uh, picking us to win a derby just feels. I don't know that I'll ever really be able to do it until we actually do it again. And we're only going to do it when we do it. <laughs> and, and I don't have any other deeper analysis than that. Um, Mike, I'll start with you. What's the, what's kind of the minimum expectation you have in terms of what we need to get out of these next three matches in terms of position in the table and all, and the season and all of that. Um, first things first, before you even think about the Derby or city, then you beat full. You have to beat full at home. Sure. That's that. That is that is the minimum. The very minimum is you beat full at home, and you don't have any issues with that. Um, City, you're on a 15 game win streak. I mean, they're a very good football team. They've got the 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 ability to just switch players around, make them all fresh, and yet somehow still put out a Champions League worthy team. It's ridiculous the resources they have. Um, if you go to City and you get anything, it's a success. It just is. For it, but that's the same for any team in the league at the minute because they've won 15 games on the spin. Like no one has taken points off them. So I'd take, I'd take absolutely anything there. The derby, um, derby's a derby, isn't it? Um, if you offer, if you offer me four points from them fixtures now, I'd probably take it. To be honest with you, I probably would. Be Fulham, you'll probably get beat by City, and then don't get beat by them. Take a point at Anfield, I'll take it. But you know what? You offer me six points right now, I'd be over the moon with it. Yeah, six points, that, six, six points is a true bite your hand off scenario. It is. <laughs> as much as it I is. hate that expression getting thrown around, I would absolutely take six points. I, right I would absolutely bite your hand off right now for six points. That's yeah. If you would give give me that, give me beating Fulham, get beat by City, and then beat the Reds at their place. Yeah, that's what yeah. I want, and it's doable. It's doable. Yeah, well, look, uh, it's I don't know how many times we've said it, given veins of form or the fact that they're going to start all their under twenty threes, like that. There, there have been plenty of opportunities for Everton to break this hoodoo, and and so that's why I'm just like the Reds certainly aren't in, in any sort of great vein of form right now. They can be had at the back for sure. Uh, you know, there's a there's a myriad of things, but and Anfield really isn't Anfield right now either without without a crowd as as they love to point out um that that no one is suffering more because they don't have fans than them uh ben, the injuries as well <laughs> ben do you uh concur generally there for for maybe six six points obviously just almost feels like a dream scenario cuz even if we lost to lost the derby if you if you somehow beat city that would represent a monumental type of thing i i, I don't know that i dare enough to believe it but what do you think about this week? Well, I think uh, it's much more likely that we beat Manchester City home than Liverpool away. It doesn't matter. You know, I've been on various podcasts and even just various conversations down the pub where, you know, it doesn't matter what Everton side they take to Anfield. It doesn't matter what team that they're playing. As long as they're in red, we somehow seem to not win. It doesn't really matter. So, uh, un- until I see that kind of curve broken, I can't see anything other than us doing our usual and just letting Liverpool hit form again by beating us. But I think if you were to take sort of your Everton hat off, you know, for a second and you look at it purely on the basis of like a sort of, almost like a bookmaker would, 
I think you look at the next three games and saying that Everton are clear favourites for Fulham at home, as we should be. So you should yeah. take three points at home to Fulham. That's, that should be your bread and butter. It should be. doesn't mean it will be, but it should. And then you're expected, really, by you know by the law of you know, probability, that you probably lose to Manchester City and you probably lose to Liverpool. OK, football doesn't work like that. We know and this is an unusual season, as everyone knows. So you don't know, you know, but I do think... Like Mike said, I think it's like Mike said there. I think it's difficult to look too far ahead because I just want to see us at nine o'clock on Sunday evening with three more points, and then I can worry about the next game because yeah, you know it, we can sit here and say we want three points, we want four points, we want six points. The fact is, if we get beat by Fulham or we draw, even if we draw with Fulham on Sunday night, the whole thing goes out the window because you can't make up for that. You, no, you can't, can't make, make up, up for that. that. Just exactly. like you can't make up for those Newcastle games either. I no. agree. Well, no. Well, that's exactly the point. You know, if we were to get beat by Fulham at home, then beat City by some miracle, you then you're no better off than if you'd have yeah. just beaten Fulham in the first place. Yeah. You know, or if we drew all three games, you may as well just win one. So, you know, the Fulham game has to be has to be your bread and butter. Has to be in yeah. the bank come Sunday night, and then you worry about Manchester City. Manchester City. You know, we're more than capable of getting something at home against Manchester City. It's not it's not likely, but you know, that winning yeah. run's got to come to an end at some point. And yeah. then Liverpool, listen, you know, famous <laughs> last words, but I, I just fear that it's gonna be business as usual in the in the Anfield dive. It doesn't matter how well we play, how badly they are going into that game in terms of form, they'll find a way to crush all of our dreams, which is uh, unfortunately how We've it's been- gonna pan out. I will say we. It seems like we've been on a form of getting draws from them uh, relatively consistently the last. Well, we, we got beat season. last year at Anfield. Yeah, Twice. well, at Anfield, yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's, that's very true. I just mean the. I, I, yeah, I guess Goodison. It's more of you know more of the the draw proposition there. Um, but yeah, I, I I absolutely fear the Adam Lookman revenge game. By the oh, way, oh, yeah, hundred percent. I just, uh, I don't know why. <laughs> just, uh, you're you right. See, you can see the headline, can't you? Adam oh. Luckman returned to Everton. This is why it's so important to get that Fulham game just out the way and yeah. won, even if it's a scrappy 1-0, because the next two fixtures coming up, we don't know what's going to happen, but we know that history tells us that going to Anfield, no matter what, normally gives us problems. I've enjoyed watching Fulham when I've seen them this season in the way that you enjoy watching a team that, that can do some interesting things and move the ball around and not score very much. <laughs> but maybe it's like we're watching a lot of Brighton games sometimes. I'm not sure, but, yeah. uh, no, you know, look, Lookman, Lookman looks like he's finally rounded into a pretty decent player. And I, I, I don't miss all the conversations about him, but uh, no, that'll definitely be interesting on Sunday. Last thing, guys, bonus question. Um, I don't know if you, uh, I don't know why you would. Um, I, I share this sometimes in group chats and so on, but we have a forecast on Sunday and Monday for 10 to 15 inches of snow in Oklahoma <laughs> City. Uh, what is it, uh, just based on the fact that we're all kind of living in some semi-form of lockdown, and I'll start with Mike first. Mike, what can I binge watch while I am stuck at home uh, under you know two feet of snow? Madman for the millionth time. <laughs> Madman again. Watch, it's the greatest watch, show ever. I could watch it again. I suppose. watch it again. Didn't know if you had anything something to... new. You always <laughs> do. Um, yeah, that's that's my always always go to now. I'll watch it over and over and over again because you always see new things. So yeah, go watch your favorite episodes of Mad Men. Put the fire on, feet off, and you'll have a lovely time. Ben, you got any uh, anything you've watched recently that I should absolutely jump onto? I mean, I think it's difficult because I'm not sure like what you've actually watched. But if you want to talk sort of Netflix, I mean, you know, yeah. you've got your usual staples of your, of your diet, your sort of your peep shows, that kind of thing. Where I just implore anybody who's listening to just watch it and then watch I've never it again seen because peep show and I've got to do it. I think well, that's the one that I need to do, guys. You know what though? Peep shows are very, very as you'll find out, a very, very strange program because you could probably watch it the whole first series once and then probably come away from thinking it wasn't actually that funny. And then you watch it for a second time and it suddenly changes your life in unimaginable ways for forever. <laughs> and then care. you just watch everything. I mean, other than that aside, I mean, I'm trying to think, because obviously I'm on furlough at the moment, so I've, I've quite a lot of time off recently at home. So, I mean, I watched the, um, a series on, another series on Netflix called Teachers, which was a comedy back from like 2004 and uh, Andrew Lincoln and the guy from The Walking Dead. So oh, was, yeah. that, that was quite funny, you know, in a sort of, in a very, sort of very British 
you know, dry kind of humour sense, a bit like Peep Show. But uh, other than that, I just think at the moment it's very difficult for a lot of us. And uh, but if you haven't seen Peep Show, I think, okay. and I think uh, me and Mike have spoke about this before. I think he can care with me on that one. That uh, oh, I know he it will. It really is. It's a very. Yeah, I think it should be almost in the curriculum of schools, really, because it's really important just for everyday life that you've got that knowledge of what Mark Corrigan knows. Well, see, and I need Peep Show because I think I'm one of those people who suffers a little bit from uh, what is seasonal affective disorder, like the the long periods of time without the sun. uh, You know, I live obviously in a different part of the world, but, you know, the snow and feeling closed in and I'm not going to go Jack Nicholson in The Shining crazy or anything like that. I just I, I need funny uh to kind of keep me uh keep me going and keep me in a good mood i can't just rely completely on on booze yeah, and see i don't even know if peep show is actually that funny i've, I've seen it that many times i've <laughs> it that much it's almost it's like a guidebook for life i don't even know whether it's that funny it's, anymore it's just sort of it is what it is you just it's definitely funny <laughs> okay definitely see ben funny. i've watched so much i don't know part of it's just getting to know so many people from from England, maybe, but also just I've watched and I've watched a lot of British. Co- I mean, I get, I, I understand that it's going to be weird and dry, and and I just have to kind of. That's fine. I don't need everything to be the exact same kind of funny. There's funny, haha. And there's funny, uncomfortable. There's funny, um, metaphorical funny. I mean, <laughs> I'll get into it. Um, the one I would throw out to you guys that I watched recently um, to go completely not funny uh, on Netflix is the ripper it's a it's a documentary yeah, it. yeah, about the yorkshire it. ripper which i didn't know anything about that story holy shit what a story <laughs> <laughs> talk about the police just completely bungling an investigation and it was fascinating watching how a world a pre-internet and pre-computer world tries to do a massive like cataloging of of every call and every bit of evidence and research and stuff but man that was that was some brutal shit <laughs> but it was re- <laughs> really interesting interesting documentary it's like four parts they're an hour long each i'm i'm cliche whatever but i love true crime documentaries they just they're, they're always fascinating to me so uh no highly recommend what was crazy the craziest part about that is that for the longest time they did this whole campaign out to the public making them think that this guy who turned out to be a total crank from sunderland called and like you know left this recorded message that he was the ripper and all this yeah. stuff and it turned out it was a guy that was from you know not very far away I, it's 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 and they never considered it a hoax like they never once thought this could be someone having a bit no, of a they wanted you know what i mean right so Madness. badly oh it was crazy anyway recommend that highly well guys this has been fantastic some real hardcore everton football chat i'm just i'm almost spent with all the everton there's almost too much everton right now you know like you're gonna just we're, i'm just tired of all the winning as uh, <laughs> Donald trump likes to say um guys this has been fantastic ben thank you very much for joining us mike as always thank you for joining us we will of course have just nonstop Blue Room content coming this week. The Weekly got recorded today. Uh, this is Thursday as we're recording this. I think this will probably come out on Friday, but The Weekly is is out uh, today. Uh, I know we'll have a weekend preview uh, coming up uh, on Blue Room Extra. Of course, I'd be remiss without pointing out that the Monday show uh, with Ben Crawford is on every Monday on Blue Room Extra. We'll have post-match. We'll have more... Um, we'll have mailbag. We'll have kickabout again next week. Uh, we'll have subs weekly, which is always one of my very favorite uh, discussions of Everton every single week. Uh, but for Mike and Ben, I'm Rob. We'll see you guys again next week for more kickabout. Únese al equipo de BD en Columbus, Nebraska. Estamos contratando para múltiples posiciones con elegibilidad de bonos de inicio de trabajo. Nuestro plan de beneficios integral comienza para todos los empleados en su primer día, incluyendo los planes de seguro de bajo o ningún costo para algunas posiciones, las oportunidades de crecimiento de la carrera y más. BD está hecho para lo que viene en la salud y su carrera. Solicite hoy en jobs.bd.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.